welcome to Sacred Justice, a podcast that features discourse rooted in the pursuit of justice as sacred practice. Our weekly discussions reflect on current events, art, media, theology, and how they intersect with the movements for freedom and liberation. We hope that through these conversations, we can foster inclusivity by expanding our learning opportunities. We hope to cultivate digital community beyond the confines of our campus. And we hope to reconnect the church's social and spiritual callings. Join us for the journey. Welcome back to Sacred Justice. It is August and we are excited to be back with you. I am Mia McLean and I'm here with Ben Boswell. DJ Hairless is back <laughs> in the house. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, ben, we've missed you on the podcast, but we gave you a little break, you know, so you can do other things with your summer. I know you got you. You've been having these amazing episodes without me. I'm not even sure I'm I'm necessary to this podcast. <laughs> not true. Not true. People enjoy our banter. Mm. Um. <laughs> Actually, I heard somebody speaking of our banter. I heard somebody say, you know, um, you've really you and Mia have really developed a rapport together. I love hearing you all talk, and I especially love the fact that. Uh, she gives it right back to you when you give it to her. And I said, oh, okay, so that's what it's about. That's what, it's really about, you know, just hearing somebody, hearing you come after me, Mia, you know, when I have some issues. And you wow. Just straight. That's what they want to hear. So, bring, you know, you're going to have to bring it. That's what, they, that's what the people want. You got to give them what they want. I guess, I guess. We can do that. Um, <laughs> so we've been in this month of August, and traditionally we, um, well, traditionally over the past two years, now this is our third year, we try to uplift issues surrounding the LGBTQIA and beyond communities. Mm. And this year we've had a two great, phenomenal guests to really kick off the month as we talked about issues particularly re related to transgender and gender expansive communities. Mm. And we started off the week one with Bethany Corrigan yeah. They, them pronouns. And Bethany is the executive director of Transcend Charlotte. And Bethany was with us to help us understand some deeper issues around gender expansive communities and transgender identity and to teach me and others about what binders are. So if you missed that episode, go back and listen and watch it. It's both on YouTube and Google and Apple Podcasts because we want you to be informed about ways we can be supporting our transgender, non-binary, and gender-expansive neighbors. Mm. Ben, did you listen to that episode? What did you think? I was able to spend some time with that. I really appreciated uh, the way that Bethany went through uh, explaining Binders and just the work of Transcend Charlotte um, and, and specifically how we need, to, we need to continue to lean into an expansive questions around LGBTQ and gender uh, expression, gender identity, because, you know, as you've said many times, Mia, our statement uh, from a few years ago, just because we did it back then doesn't mean we're still living it out today in the present tense. Um, you know, and I think we've got to continue to stay on the edge of this issue so that we continue to be inclusive. I think our commitment to inclusivity and, and social justice requires that we continue to have um, to inform ourselves and to learn from folks like Bethany uh, and the good people at Transcend Charlotte. I'm really glad that they're one of our partners. We've done a lot of work with Time Out Youth over the years, and it's, it's nice to be connected with Transcend Charlotte now. Yes, I'm excited. And we'll be kicking off a fundraiser opportunity um, for Binders in September and October as we head mm. into Pride season here in Charlotte. The Pride Parade is October 24th, and we want to help our friends out over at Transcend and helping them supply binders to people who are in need of that and breast forms. These things are quite expensive, and they're mm. not something you can easily donate. It has to be fitted to the person to make sure that it's done in the safest and healthiest way possible. So we'll be giving some more information about that shortly. And then last week we had James Admins on, and James, who also uses they, them pronouns, is a friend of mine from seminary, 
James is also the assistant minister at Fort Washington Collegiate Church in New York. And James was talking me through James's thesis, which covers the Fem Babylon, which is the woman Babylon from Revelation, the book of Revelation, which most of y'all have told me you never read. But (laughs) we're going to change that. But there's this woman called the woman Babylon, and James wrote James's thesis on the femme Babylon and really queering the identity of that particular character in that book of the Bible. Mm. It was fascinating work, and James references a lot of uh, uh, trans theology, theology that really helps folks queer biblical text. James Mm. talked about how Joseph and the amazing technical dream code actually depending on the translation if we were go back to the root words Joseph was actually wearing a dress Ooh. <laughs> and Ooh. a princess dress and not this sort of cloak, cloak of many colors that we've associated with Joseph Ooh, over the years my. but if we were to read it as it's a dress then what would that mean for Joseph <laughs> well no wonder his brothers got angry yeah cross dressing yeah, cross dresser. Well, but it, ga- it came from the parents, so now we got a whole nother, you know, conversation. Why, well, why yeah. did parents make this dress for them? Right, and and when we think about, e- even if it wasn't te- uh, scandalous back then for for men in particular to wear dresses or things that look right. like dresses. Um, we have to think about how we got to a place in our society today where that is even something scandalous. Yeah, right. Right? right. Um, so that was a fascinating conversation. I hope you go back and listen and also follow James on the website, theologyqueen.com. James does drag chapels. Oh, all um, right. James's other personality is Marge Johnson. And when James is Marge Johnson during Drag Chapel, it is phenomenal. So you can see some of that work online as well. What is Marge Johnson's preaching style, Mia? I want to know. Um, conversational. Oh, okay. okay. Um, yeah, March March has made several appearances in the pulpit. Also, James has made appearances in the pulpit. So, <laughs> uh, a conversational, but really, it re- James and March call people to the carpet, mm, mm, right? And, and mm. really, we, we talked about how- Wait, it, what does that phrase, call people to the carpet, even mean? I, you know, I don't know the origin. I just <laughs> <laughs> call them to the carpet to fight. I don't know. Oh, okay. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> James calls us to the carpet and comes after these, you know, churches who are saying they're open and affirming and mm-hmm. are really only open and affirming to gay and lesbian people who um, who live their lives in a heteronormative way, mm-hmm. um, and that's to say they 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 live into which actually we'll talk about a little bit with the documentary that we watch, but they live into I'm getting married, I'm having children, just like a heterosexual couple would, and that that is really the form of open and affirming that many churches are. Many churches mm-hmm. are not have not figured out what it means to be open and affirming to bisexual people or to non-binary people or to transgender people or the or even when we talk about polyamory, mm. right? There we're not we're not there yet. And so James and Marge, generally when I've heard them preach, call us to the carpet, call us to these difficult conversations. Are we being who we really say we are? Mm. Wow, that's interesting because. We did talk a little bit about that in talk back yesterday and how for a lot of folks in the LGBTQ community, the way to find acceptance was to to um, to mirror heteronormative practices uh, as a way in to in, in to find acceptance, to find mm-hmm. inclusion. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear James kind of going in a different direction there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 yes. And so listen to that episode because that thesis was phenomenal. I actually read it. So Wow. Um, My yes. Goodness. So uh, that's what we've been talking about lately. But we're here today with a new episode and we want to jump into some current events. There is so much happening in the world. Uh, so first, yeah. I just want to say, you know, we are brainstorming to do what we can for Haiti. They experienced yeah. an earthquake 
last week and it's just devastating. It's devastating, Ben. And I, you know, my mother asked me recently on the phone a couple of times, she said, Mia, why does it feel like the same people get hit over and over again? Mm, mm -hmm, you know, mm. what is, what's like, why is it always Haiti or why is it always, you know, black people in this country? Why does it feel like the same people mm. are getting hit over and over again with devastation, whether that's police brutality or natural disasters, it just, it, or even corrupt government systems as we're seeing not only in Haiti with the president being assassinated, right? But yep. um, what we're seeing right now in Afghanistan, then I don't, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> wow, well, I mean, all of those situations, if you kind of look at them just from the surface to me, you know, it's it's easy to kind of look and say, wow, something's really wrong with those places or like the people there are cursed or something like that, right? It would be easy with just, uh, you know, kind of a naive understanding of, of history to just say, wow, why is it that Haiti always has earthquakes and then, um, you know, coups and all these problems? And why is Afghanistan a place where it just seems like we can't figure out uh, how to create a safe, you know, country for the people who are living in it. What what is it about about these spaces? But to do so, to look at that that way, is often to forget um, what has happened in history to lead us up to this point. You know, we forget, for instance, all the ways in which foreign intervention in Haiti from co colonialism colonization has led us to this point. Right? Yeah. And the difference, for instance, between, say, the Dominican Republic and Haiti, which are on the same island. Yeah. Y'all, there's another country on that island that doesn't have the same problems. Yeah. They got problems, too, but they don't have the same problems that Haiti has. How is that even possible? I'm talking like an artificial barrier down the middle that the colonists created, depending upon who was the colonizer. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous, right? And one of them... One, on one side, things are one way, and on, on the other side, things are another. In fact, some people, you know, there's a whole report years ago about people who take boats from Haiti every day to go over and try to sell things in the Dominican Republic because, and that's the only way they can survive. Yeah. And, and the way that they're treated when they show up and how many get to come off the boats and actually sell things and the dynamic that's created there. That's how desperate the situation is. You get on a boat just to go like a mile across the border you know, just to be able to sell things in the marketplace. And so we, if we don't understand the history of colonization and the history of foreign involvement, not just colonization, but American foreign involvement, but other countries as well, into Haitian politics, whether it be in the Cold War or at some other time, we don't, we don't understand how a country gets itself into this situation, right? Uh, foreign intervention almost always leads to corrupt governments, Yeah. right? <laughs> you know, it's like somebody sides with the foreigners and the colonizers and that group then gets power and then the other groups are resentful. And so they create a, an environment where they, they, they assassinate the leaders. I mean, it just it never really helps um, for a foreign country to come in kind of paternalistically to try to either help out or just to try to stabilize a country's politics or economics and. Um, and so that the reason Haiti is in the situation it is is in is because of the long history of Western involvement in Haitian life and in Haitian politics. You know, when the Haitians, you know, the ha Haiti is the only place on the planet, right, where uh, enslaved folks fought a revolution for their own freedom and yeah. war. Right? That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but it is also part of the reason why Western powers look at it a particular way and will not allow it to gain the kind of power. Um, so it's almost as if, you know, there's this sense where you're, you, you become the pariah to Western nations when you try to fight for your own freedom and your own autonomy and self-determination, which is really sad and depressing. I know, <laughs> but that seems like what, and then you get hit with these economic, these in economic and then political and then now climate issues continue to fall on Haiti, uh, as well as earthquakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it, it's, it's, I was trying to explain that a little bit to my mother, just trying to say, you know, there, it's been a, since they won, 
the revolution, that didn't mean that they were set up for success. Yeah. Right. The revolution almost it took them. It was, you know, when the French left, it was they left them with nothing. They left them to die. Right. Right. So it's been they've been behind. It's been a constant battle to set themselves up for whatever success can look like. Right. Their um, the entire their entire existence with with little help from, you know, the people who created this situation. And so then you get hit with a natural disaster. And I was trying to compare it to New Orleans, you know, in mm. many ways, people used to call New Orleans an annex of the Caribbean because our corrupt government system was very similar. Um, and, and with Hurricane Katrina, we saw what it was like to be left for dead. And if we, I mean, for the most part, I mean, you know, eventually some government systems kicked in, some of them. Um, right. <laughs> but... Right. But you start to see how, you know, these things, it wasn't just a natural disaster. People were impoverished before the disaster. Their their infrastructure was falling apart before the disaster. So, of course, you get an earthquake and, uh, you know, much of much of the island cannot handle that. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, and I think, you know, we don't we don't really remember that the United States has intervened and occupied Haiti. At different points throughout our history and their history, yeah, um, there was a military occupation from 1915 to 1934. Not that long ago, my grandmother's still living, so it would have been in her lifetime uh, that Haiti was occupied by the United States. Uh, you may remember, Mia, there was a lot of political turmoil in, in Haiti in the 1990s and early 2000s. Yeah, um, when a particular um, I can't remember, I think it was a Catholic priest that was elected um, the president. And then they removed the military, removed him from office, and he 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 had to go into exile. I can't remember his name right off the top of my head, but um, you know, and and the, the United States had a role in that in that coup, you know. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's hard, right? I mean, part of the problem for Haiti is that they're too close to the United States. Yeah, <laughs> so they come on the radar of the U.S. a lot. Yeah. Reason and in ways that are not always helpful to the people who live there. Yeah. Um, and so, I, yeah, it's, there's been a lot of misinvestment, disinvestment, um, support of coups in Haiti related to our um, whether we like the leader and the leader's politics that rose to power at a particular time. Um, so, yeah, there's a long, it's a long history of the United States and Haiti. And so we bear some responsibility in the continued devastation, economic, infra the infrastructure devastation. I saw an article today, there's like, there's only one surgeon, you know, dealing yeah. with every, all the people who've been hurt, right, in these earthquakes. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's so hard. It's just such a challenging situation. Uh, how, you know, what do you do? Right. You, it's, 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 you don't, it is hard to know to do. And also Haiti has had its own, um, you know, uh, colorism and classism mm. issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I in New Orleans, we had a lot of Haitians. Um, one of my best friends in school was, you know, Haitian. Her parents were from Haiti. Um, her father was a doctor. Her mother was sort of from the, the right side of town, if that makes sense, in Haiti. Yes. Um, and and so there was always this conversation about, you know, how is your family doing? Is your family OK? And she would go back to Haiti quite often to visit, you know, grandparents or whoever. Right. Um, and, you know, when I asked her recently how her family was doing this week, she said, you know, they're OK. But I, I get the sense that a lot of her family are on are, are in a part of the country that when these types of things happen, it's not always the they're not always the greatest, the, the, the great the most greatly affected, if that makes sense, mm. at least economically. That is, I mean, a natural disaster can come and, and wipe us all out. It doesn't matter how much money we have or don't have. Right. But there's a sense that, you know, there's a strong tie to the United States. They have relatives in Florida, Louisiana. And so if something were to happen, if they needed to get on a flight to go somewhere, they probably could. Some of A lot of them have dual citizenship. So there's um, there's categories of, of Haitian culture that sometimes get ignored when we just sort of view the country as, you know, the poorest country. There's there's some stratosphere there. There's, right. you know, there's, there's, love, there's right. some hierarchy, you know. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. 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 Well, we're, we have a member, one of our members, Victoria Yugoyan, 
um, who is a, a, a minister and a missionary. And she's been to Haiti many, many times uh, doing relief work there and uh, is planning to go back and also planning to to do some um, some work that we might be able to participate in as members to build some some boxes, care packages to send to Haiti and also for us to uh, maybe support her financially in her travels to go there and to try to work to help the people. So um, we'll keep you posted on all that as a church. You know, we, that this is one way that we have been involved in Haiti. We've supported her before in trips she's made in the past. And Victoria is an amazing person. She doesn't go to Haiti with a top-down approach, but works with their own people on the ground to find out ways that she can make a difference. So yeah. uh, you can hear more from us about that in the future. Yes. So, Ben, unfortunately, we have to get into this Afghanistan thing. And I say unfortunately because it is really devastating. I mean, seeing these images of people falling from the sky mm-hmm. is is just heartbreaking, right? People who are trying to get on planes and who are uh, just, I mean, you, th- there's this, there's this poem by Warson Shire that talks about home and and, mm. and she says, no one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. Mm. And that you really have to be desperate to run to the airport thinking that you're going to be able to get out of this situation. This is devastating. And I was talking earlier about how, you know, we've been at war with, with in Haiti or we've been in Haiti, I mean, Haiti, in Afghanistan for like the majority of my life. 2001 was when we officially sort of, I guess, went in this go round, right? That's 20 years and I'm 32. And I remember the beginnings and I remember the people that died, but you know, it's been going on for so long. I feel like I haven't kept up with the year by year updates. It's just sort of like now all of a sudden I'm trying to play catch up on everything that has or hasn't happened. And I know you, you know, some more history than me. And so I was wondering if you could just spend some time running, running us back to how we got in and now trying to get out of this situation and the devastation that's occurring. Yeah, I mean, seeing, I'll tell you an image that really just struck me today is to seeing people trying to jump on the wheels of the United States last um, C-130 that was leaving the airport and like literally hanging on to the side of the plane as it was lifting off because they're so desperate to get out of the country. Uh, That is heartbreaking. And I mean, just, well, oh my goodness. Um, You think about the people there and what they've been through 20 years of, you know, nonstop war. Um, and then, you know, really it's longer than that though. You know, you said it was your, it's been your lifetime, but actually it's been my whole lifetime that the United States has been involved in, in Afghanistan, you know, people who will remember a few years back, there was a movie with Tom, I think Tom Hanks and started it. Maybe Julia Roberts called Charlie Wilson's war. That's about us involvement in the, in Afghanistan back in the war in their own civil war that took place um that where there was basically it's like a soviet afghan war really because soviet forces were involved it was like a cold war it was the the cold war hit afghanistan and became hot there Mm -hmm. and um we backed rebels on the ground who were fighting against the soviet union and trained um people who were involved and related to the i'm gonna get it wrong the, the Muhaddin. Um, and um, anyway, including, by the way, Osama bin Laden, who was trained by the CIA during that civil war. So, I mean, when you think about what's going on today right now, and you see these images of the United States leaving and the people there just desperate, and the Taliban having taken over the entire country in just a week or so. Mm-hmm. It, it, it can't help but go back for me to the memory of our messing around in that country um, and how we support one side, then we support another, and um, how our involvement looks so self-interested uh, over the course of their history and ours to the point where no wonder we're not trusted and no wonder it was easy for the Taliban to take over. I mean, there's some reports now, you know, Mia, that you know, they, they didn't pay the soldiers they, they weren't paying the Afghan soldiers that there was corruption in the government. And when you don't pay soldiers and the Taliban comes to fight them, some of those places, they, the Taliban took over without firing a single shot. Yeah. 
right? Because the soldiers just abandoned. But also, you know, um, it's almost like these they're they're all they're they're more closely related to each other, the Afghani government and their forces and the Taliban, than they are to the United States. So there's there's tribal politics there and family politics and. Uh, we really just didn't understand. We've made a mess in Afghanistan multiple times now. And um, I think we really have to do some soul searching now about America's involvement uh, and our foreign policy in general. Yeah. I mean, this is a time now to look back and say, okay, we thought Vietnam was bad, but Vietnam was a quagmire. Think about how we left Vietnam after losing in a war that we shouldn't have been in in the first place, again, related to the Cold War. Um, and, and the country was decimated afterwards. We left that country in shambles, people, lives destroyed. And, um, and, you know, and all because, you know, of this sort of fear of communism and all the drama around it in the first place. And here we are now, Afghanistan's longer than Vietnam, mm -hmm. right? It's been longer than Vietnam and, and we're leaving now with our tail between our legs, not having achieved anything. And think of the billions of dollars that was spent. Oh, don't get me started. Billions don't get me started. Billions of dollars was spent. This is when I get books. really ignorant um, because I just, I'm that person who I don't 100% agree with what I'm about to say because I know it's more complex than this. But I sort of just feel like, why can't we mind our own business? Mm. Mm -hmm. You know how much that money could have gone to housing in America? <laughs> Why can't we mind our own damn business? Right. <laughs> That's how I, I know it's more complex than that for all of you yeah. people who are really into foreign policy. But when you look at the money spent and the lives lost and then the fact that we really didn't do anything there, I just get really angry. Well, what uh, you're, uh, yeah, I'm 100% with you. And one of the things that you're, you're reminding me of is when 9-11 when happened, um, which is when we date ourselves of having gone into Afghanistan, but really we've been there a long, long time before that. Yeah. 20 years before that, basically. Um, anyway, so, but we date the war in Afghanistan back to 2001. And you'll, you may, you, you probably don't remember this, Mia, but at the time there were a lot of people saying things like, why do people hate us? Why, why, were, why were we bombed? Yeah. Why does the world hate us? And the, the, the answer that was always given by the government at that time was they hate our freedoms. Hmm. They, they hate our freedoms. They hate that we're free, right? Okay. And so it, it positioned this sort of like the America versus the East or the West versus the East kind of debate. And like the West cares about freedom and the East is sort of like – backwards and provincial and tribal and it was very similar to arguments around colonization that were done that there's some sense in like there are like that the, the backwards people are the savages and we're the very enlightened you know ones with guns and and an economy and buildings and roads and stuff right and and that that way of thinking was just not accurate at all the idea that they hate us for our freedoms is ridiculous. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. It, it's not, it doesn't deal with history. So one of the things I did, you could think this is funny. I was like, I was in the army and I was studying religion at the same time. I was the only student on my college campus who was both a soldier and studying religion. So um, I wanted to know like, okay, well, what are the, what's the enemy saying as to why? So I went and read Osama bin Laden's list of demands of why, um, why, why had, what was the reasons? He, there's a whole thing. You can read it. Mm -hmm. And he just traces the history of American involvement in the Middle East and the destruction of holy sites and the occupation of holy spaces and um, the messing with um, governments and coups, not 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 least of which Iran in the 40s and 50s, um, but then um, the the bringing and the creation of Israel, and the support, the blind support of Israel over and against all other nations, um, you know the the kinds of things that we were doing with the Saudis. I mean, just unbelievable stuff, right? And yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the other war that predates 9-11, right, where we were in Iraq and Kuwait, you know, people forget, like, that has an impact on how people think about us. 
you know, and we always think, oh, well, we're going to be, we're greeted as liberators. Well, not necessarily, you know, that's, that's our, that's the propaganda that we get through the TV. You know, the people on the ground have different feelings about it. So, um, you know, there's this long litany of abuses. And so it's like, oh no, they hate our freedoms. That's not right. And that's not a very, that's a naive and basically jingoistic view of why people would want to No, the reason they hate us is all we've done is involve ourselves in their lives for our own benefit and then leave whenever we want to. We go when we want, we do what we want, we leave when we want, and they have to pick up all the pieces. Yeah. Right? Our involvement in the second Iraq war led to the creation of ISIL, right? <laughs> and to the Syrian refugee crisis. We did that. That happened because of us. Yeah. You know, so I, this idea that our involvement is what makes the world better or is necessary to achieve some sort of grand, long political end, I think is really now needs to come under a new level of scrutiny, right? What are the outcomes of this engagement? What are the costs we're prepared to pay? Why are we going to, why did we stay 20 years? I mean, these, you know, um, it, it's it's really um, it's a it is a sad moment for American foreign policy, and it's a, it's unfortunate. I'll just say that. Lastly, me, I'll turn it back to you. But it's unfortunate that a lot of this is going to fall on Biden's shoulders. When in reality, mm-hmm. we it's been every American president yeah. right, since Ronald Reagan that has gotten us involved in this mess. Yeah. So let's not put it all on Biden's shoulders. American the American militarism. People, yeah. Is bipartisan capitalism mm-hmm. militarism colonization i mean people try to make it seem like like republicans are like the proponent but <laughs> this country has been militaristic for many presidents republican and democrat yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. yeah so you know exactly exactly yeah it's sad it's a sad moment um but it's a time it's really time to take stock yeah yeah uh, you know, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. I know. I and know. This is another moment, right, where we can look and say, we went to these countries for revenge. We went there for revenge, right? Yeah. We did not find Osama bin Laden in Afghanistan or Iraq. He was already gone, right? And so were his people. You know, it's like we went there and we, we've destroyed countries to find one person. Yeah. <laughs> You know, to punish them for what they did to us instead of trying to understand why the, 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 the sort of geopolitical situation is what it is and our role in it and who we are and how we're seen in that. And, you know, God, I mean, <laughs> anyway, I, we, as we come to this 20th anniversary, I'm thinking a lot about, about what we do when we're hurt and, mm. and grieving and how our anger, out of our anger, we lash out. And, um, you know, I remember being involved in protests against the Iraq war. There were very people, very few people protesting against the Afghan war in 2001. Yeah. They were protesting against the Iraq war. Why were we going to Iraq? There was Osama bin Laden wasn't from Iraq. Well, actually from Saudi Arabia at the time. So were all the, so were all the people on the planes. We didn't go to Saudi Arabia. We went to Afghanistan. I mean, yeah. so it's just... The, it's so disingenuous and um, and uh, clearly an act of punitive action. It was punitive. And now here we are 20 years later, and um, the joke's on us. The joke's really on us. It's devastating. And it's also, there's something in here about whiteness Ooh. and mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. this. We talked a little bit about this, I think maybe yesterday or um, just talking about charity and toxic charity. There's something in here about this, you know, desire to feel like we are going to help somebody with a white savior complex, right? Mm. Or at least using that as the excuse. Like, look at us. We're going to go in here and stabilize this little brown country over here. Um, and and not necessarily working with people or trying to understand um, culture, trying Mm. to understand some of the tribalism. Nope, I'm just going to go over here and help these poor people over here, but not like really help them. We have to help them so that it feeds our ego. And I feel like so much of what we've done as a country, as an empire is about ego. 
mm. feeding the American ego um, and how extremely unhealthy it is. And also when you look at the state of our country and how, I mean, buildings are falling to the ground. Mm. <laughs> like, mm. How mm. dare we go over somewhere else we deem a third world country and we literally had a hundred people lose their lives because of poor infrastructure. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's it. There's it's some hip, it's hypocritical, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It is. It is, and we we need a we need a shift in that. We really need a shift in the maybe maybe this this twenty year quagmire will change American the average American's view on war. You know, it's interesting that there are people that are anti war and for change in American foreign policy on both sides of the aisle. They're not a large group on either side, but it is bipartisan that people are anti-war because for the very reason, if you're a fiscal conservative, you don't want war. Good gracious. Yeah. It's a waste of money, right? Yeah. It's worse. We spent more in Afghanistan than on any government program in history. <laughs> I mean... There's no government, all that pork barrel, whatever, you know, government programs. We're wasting all this money on something that's not really making a difference. Well, how about the war in Afghanistan? Yeah. But the patriotism and the nationalism associated with it and the Defense Department budget, it's like we, for whatever reason, you know, because of our nationalism, I guess, we, we just feel like we can spend unlimited amounts of money on messing up the world. And yet we don't, for some reason, we have to fight over a couple, like a trillion dollars for infrastructure. It's interesting yeah. that those things are happening at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, um, there's not a whole lot we can do in some of these places, but pray. And so I don't want right. to limit, I don't want to, you know, make prayer seem like it's nothing. It is something. I mean, there, there are things that we can't do. We have no control over, That's right. but um, we'll try to do what we can. If, even if it's just education, I think education mm -hmm. is a need, Ben. I, you know, there are just things that I, they don't teach us this in school. No, no, no. Nobody's talking about our our terrible history of war mm. in history class in high school. I mean, we may mention some of the things that have passed Vietnam, World War One, World War Two, but they just sort of acted like what we were currently in back when I was in high school did wasn't happening. Right. <laughs> so now here we are. Okay. You know, we're I'm having to self educate in many places, but. If that's if that's all we can do, I think that that's something. That's important. No, that's really key. Yeah. So uh, on this week's episode, we wanted to just talk a little bit more about some of the media out here surrounding mm -hmm. LGBTQIA plus identity, um, and positive media as uh, mostly, but, but I know a lot of you have been watching this documentary on Netflix called pray away, mm. um, which I struggled through because it just is so, Oh, just to see and hear some of what you hear in that it is just so, I don't even know what the word has been. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, um, Oh, I just, to hear people, you know, what makes me the angriest is to hear people, talk about Jesus that way. Yeah. Makes yeah. me so angry. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so for those of you who haven't watched and maybe you shouldn't watch, I mean, I'm not recommending it. I'm not recommending it particularly to those who identify as LGBTQIA and beyond. Um, just like I didn't watch some of the, you know, uh, what's the name of that thing you just said? When they see us. I didn't yeah, watch when, when they, they see us. us. Mm -hmm. um, I have not watched some of the harder documentaries around um, blackness in this country. Um, so, I, you know, I'm not going to say I recommend it, especially if you are somebody who is a survivor of things like conversion therapy, which is a movement that was and still is uh, in existence. Um, the belief is around one that one can pray away one's sexual orientation or become an ex-gay through mm. faith and willpower. Um, and of course, we, I mean, me and Ben, but I, the <laughs> church, but, you know, I can't speak for everybody, do not affirm or believe any of this trash. Mm. Um, but it's a huge part of people's stories. And so, you know, I'm not recommending it. But, um, Ben, I want to know some of your thoughts <laughs> on Pray Away and yeah. what it brought up for you. I mean, for me, it's mostly anger and sadness. But for you, what yeah. did that bring up? 
Well, it reminded me of the time, um, uh, as I mentioned, a few folks who text me about it, counseling people who were who had been through it um, in my ministry. You know, I, I've been doing this now, trying to help the church be inclusive in different settings for a long time. Not a super long time, but a long time. And I've had people who've been through those and just hearing their stories um, of what they went through. So it was a little triggering for me in that way because I have connection to people who are, who've been through that. And how I know from pastoral counseling work that I've done with them how painful it was and how, how devastating um, and almost caused lifelong damage in multiple ways, emotionally, but also spiritually, mm-hmm. um, that, that people just, it takes a lifetime of therapy and work to recover from. And I think the thing that, the thing about the documentary, it was, it was really powerful. It reminded me of the one um, Jesus camp that came out a few years ago that really just showed camps indoctrinating children in a very, um, you know, what I would consider fascist form of Christianity um, that was, uh, that was happening all over the country in different places. And uh, that one made me sad too. It just made me furious about what was taking place. And um, this one also did the same thing. And just, cause it was just real life. They just showed real people pr- trying to pray, pray this away. And, um, and I think, you know, you can't pray away someone's orientation or identity, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, th- there's a toxic, just a deeply toxic, not only misinformed view of scripture, but a deeply toxic version of, Christianity that's at the heart of this. And so one of the things that made me think of Mia was, um, God, the battle that we're in every day of trying to create an alternative religious organization. Right. Yeah. I think about that now when I see, when I hear about the abuse scandal in the Catholic church and the Baptist church. And then when I hear about all the horrific things that that ministers have said and done. Uh, you know, there's a podcast right now about Mark Driscoll and Jerry Falwell Jr. and, um, and the Catholic abuse scandal, and um, all of that lands on the church. All of it. Every every time it c- makes another crack in the in the foundation of trust that people had in religious organizations and institutions, and rightly so. Uh, but those of us who are trying to create an institution with integrity and inclusivity makes the job even that much harder for us. Right. Every day, people that are in this exodus community and others, or people who are in that kind of fascist Christianity community, um, are getting up every day and trying to indoctrinate people, and they're harming people. They're hurting people. You know, and and so every day, right, like you said in your sermon, we got to get up every day and hump and hump and hump trying to um, cast a vision and create an alternative religious community. That is a community of inclusivity and love and compassion and grace. And um, it's so hard. Like, here's the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize when they think about like Christianity and like what it means to be a minister or a follower of Jesus today is we get up every day and the <laughs> enemy number one is ourselves. Mm. Right. Yeah. The, the most powerful force in the world that is anti Jesus is Christians in America. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right. The, yeah. the most powerful force that is anti Christ, that is anti God, that is anti-love and peace and justice and is Christians, you know, so what does it mean? to And and that's why the church is dying. I mean, really, that is real reason the church is dying. We've betrayed our witness. We have become corrupt. We've become money hungry. We've focused on all the wrong things. And now here, here's that we're at our moment of reckoning. And, um, every day, like we're trying to create the alternative to the very thing that is hurting the world, which is our, our own thing. So it makes it very challenging. I mean, yeah, really, you know, <laughs> how do you, how do you fight against yourself? Right. How do you, how do you cast a vision for something greater to the very people that are, that, that claim to profess the same thing you do? Yeah. I'm, I don't get anxious about Hindus or, Jewish community, folks in Jewish community, Islam. I don't get anxious about any of those other religions, and I have a very expansive view on 
you know, uh, interfaith relations and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm worried about Christians. I get up every day worried about what Christians are doing. Yeah. What are they doing? What are they going to say? How are they going to try to thwart progress over right. some nonsense? I mean, the, yeah. like the number one work of, of justice in the world is to hold the church accountable. Yeah. Like, how did we get there? That is just so, I don't think, I mean, we're, we're wringing our hands around, uh, around the ch church decline instead of focusing on the things that created the decline, which was our complete and total abdication of any form of responsibility and our movement over to the dark side. Like, you know, we, you know, the church is what we should be against. Yeah. That's <laughs> crazy. It's like the church against the church, you know? This and we, we spend a lot of time being against and, yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, what what could ministry look like if we didn't have to keep proving ourselves as as people trying to be the followers of Christ, trying to be the followers of the teachings of Jesus? And I'm not saying that that's always we waste time. I'm not calling it a waste of time. But there are certainly pastors that I've talked to who are like, I'm not doing that no more. People are just going to have to know who we are. And and we're not fighting with other pastors. We're not, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I mean, part of the churches that I that I spent so much time with in New York, part of the reason why we weren't a part of the Baptist associations and the, we weren't really involved with other churches is because, you know, the pastor was kind of like, do we want to waste our time? You know, oh, yeah. proving to other Baptists and Christians that this is what the, the real teachings of Jesus say, or do we just want to do it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a friend of mine told me, uh, this is an ordained minister friend, that she's in a, a spirituality group, uh, and they'd been meeting together and praying together and working through spiritual practices. And then after the election, first week first week after the election, somebody goes, well, you know, you know that election was stolen. <sighs> and then the next week, somebody's bringing up a bunch of QAnon conspiracies, and she's just like, okay, these people that I've prayed with, that I've walked down this road with, I'm out. I can't be with them. Yeah. I can't, I can't stick in this community with them. Um, and I'm th just thinking about how how the world's division and the world's um, and the the sickness, right? The, the what you you sent me a, a, a YouTube about the moral psychosis, yeah, right? The mass psychosis of American society um, has now affected the church, right? So I, I this is one of the things. I mean, just to lean in a little bit to some of the stuff we hear about, you know, preaching. Uh, maybe too much on justice, not being balanced, you know, feeling too negative, people feeling guilty or whatever about it, or feeling like we're preaching to the choir all the time on justice. I, you know, Mia, one of the things that I keep thinking about is I, I don't think they real. it's mostly the folks who've been around a long time who feel that way. Yeah. Because they've heard it before and they're like, why can't we he hear about something else? I need to hear a different word. They don't realize we're still trying to climb out of the hole that we're in with the new people showing up every Sunday. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we're trying to proclaim the word to the people who are coming to us, having heard nothing but this toxic Christianity stuff. We got folks visiting our church right now, people who were on staff at Elevation, on staff at Elevation, not not going to Elevation. They're on staff there. Now mm -hmm. they're attending our church and they don't <laughs> they're not coming to our church for the same message that they heard there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> You know, um, so, I mean, I, I think we're in it. It's part of, part of what we're dealing with is we're, we're trying to create an, a vision for church and, and preach a vision of Jesus in the midst of a particular context that is offering an alternative vision of Jesus constantly. Yeah. Constantly. This is this other vision of Jesus, this other vision of church and faith. And we feel like we have to overcome that. Yeah. Right? And we have to keep talking about it too. And I was I was talking to a friend today. My <laughs> he just moved to Atlanta and he's just started dating. He's a, a black gay guy. Mm -hmm. And um he said he went on this date with this like, you know, gay pastor who basically basically told him that um you know, he's tired of these affirming churches that lead with sexuality. Everything is about them being affirming. They have to make a sign about it, blah, blah, blah. 
And I told my friend, I said, run for the hills, get away from him. <laughs> but because <laughs> as quiet as it's kept, this man does not work at an affirming church. I don't think not truly affirming. They may know right. he's gay, but it's not truly affirming. And so Gary, my friend was asking me about, about, uh, about what I thought about this and if he should go on a second date. And I was like, hell no, get away. <laughs> but part of what I told him, I was like, the reason why it may seem like we're leading with sexuality. We're not leading with sexuality, but we have to be clear. And you know, people get, they're gonna get tired of me hearing, hearing this from me. Clear is kind. We yeah. have to be clear over and over again. We can't mm. slack up because we think everybody got it. We gotta keep saying it and keep saying, this is who we are, this is who we are. We are affirming, we want you to be here with your family and your children and your partner and we support you and we walk with you, right? We have to keep saying that because people are coming to us who have been kicked out who well, have yeah. been sent to conversion therapy camps, who right. have just a, a host of a host of things they bring with them to the space. And we have to constantly be teaching and reteaching and reteaching. And you know, it's kind of timely because I just had this conversation with my one of my mentors on Saturday about how he was able to organize in his church by teaching and how you have to keep, just keep doing it over and over again. There are gonna be people in the church who say things like, we've heard this from you already. Mm. But, you know, he goes, it's never the same conversation because it's different people. It's different interlocutors. Mm. And you just got to keep having it over and over again. And, yeah, you may get tired of it. You go, go somewhere else for a month and come back. Right. Like we have to keep doing this work because you see the stories come out from um, like the people in this documentary and other documentaries that have talked about similar things. And, you, and we have to be as clear and as consistent as possible. Yeah. Well, I, I've heard some things about some of the other churches in our area, um, you know, it doesn't, you know, when you, when you look at their website, are you, is it clear, right? Like you've said before, we've talked about that on this podcast. Yeah. Um, and some, some people will say, Oh, I just, why do you have to put the banners out front? Why do you have to, well, because it's not clear and people who have been through trauma will not come somewhere where it's don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. Or where it's not sure. Or where it's we say you're affirming, but you really can't be in leadership. You really can't be on staff. You really can't be a deacon just because you're of your sexuality. Or um, we're not. We just don't really want to talk about it. Don't flaunt it. Don't make a big deal out of it. Right? Um, you know. And and so I think there's people who've been harmed aren't coming to a place of uh, where there's no clarity. It's like this. It's the same as somebody who wants to bring their child to a church, but their child has been, was was harmed at a previous church. Okay. Yeah. They're not coming unless you have a child protection policy that is serious. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause, and they want to know, they want it to be very clear who's in the room. What can they do? What can they not do? Why? Because they were victims of abuse. We have millions and millions and millions of Americans walking around who are victims of abuse. Some of whom know it, some of whom don't know it. And the abuse was their church that abused them. And then they're showing up with us. And if we're just like, well, you know, sometimes we talk about it. We have this statement from the, from the, you know, the nineties and, you know, we have some, you know, we have some leaders in our church and da da da. da but we don't want to, we're not like out in front about it. We don't want to be like really loud about it. Like, what, what is that saying? What yeah. does that mean? You know, that's, it's almost like also like why, you know, if there's not real clear guidelines about who reports to who and you have HR policies that people on staff get hurt, right? When there's yeah. an environment that there's not, there's not a policy, it creates a culture where a policy should be, right? The culture will happen regardless if there's no policy. And so yeah. a culture, a toxic culture can be created that, that we don't even, don't even see inside because we did not have a clear, clearly defined policy that helps shape and show the world who we are and what we're about. That's what our marketing campaign was all about, trying to you know, make sure the world a bold expression of our inclusivity, you know, and we knew we had to be bold. We knew we had to be um, aggressive with it and intentional about it because people didn't know who we were. They didn't, they didn't know anymore and they didn't know if we were safe like they once did. Yeah. You know, what do we find? Like 120,000 people moved to Charlotte a year, you know, or something crazy. That's not the Delta, but that's like total you know, and it's those people have no context. They're not lifelong charlatans. They weren't raised here. They don't know our history. They don't know our civil rights work. You know, yeah. we have to stay on it because they don't remember all that. They're not going to sit down and read our church history before they come to our church. 
you know, <laughs> we have to keep staying. And not to mention, if we just rest on our laurels, we're not actually going to continue to be just. That's right. We're and I've be... seen a lot of churches get stagnant, you know, Ooh. churches I grew up in who were at the forefront in the 90s and then just stayed in the 90s. And now we're in 2021 and they're still in the 90s. Right. Right. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. yeah, we got to keep we got to keep working, keep pressing, keep humping, as somebody said in a sermon as a prophet. Yes, and yeah, hump and hump hard. Hump and hump hard until make sure you, so you can say you did everything you could. Right? That's Mia? right. That's right. <laughs> so lastly, Ben, what are some alternatives to pray away? You know, oh, man. you know, we got to give the people something that's, that's not just going to make them want to claw their eyes out. Well, they should definitely have watched Pose, right? Like if, they, if they're watching Pray Away, they should have watched Pose. The other thing is I think what, um, what the what the what media is doing now is normalizing in te television shows that are not all just about LGBTQ. Yes, I was going to say that, like Shit's yeah. Creek. The oh kid. yeah, like Shit's Creek or um, Dear White People. Um, yeah, you know, or Billions, which yes. had, had a non-binary character, right? Uh, one yes. of the few non-binary characters on ever in a TV series, especially as a lead character. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, euphoria and, mm -hmm. um, even empire had some, right. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. So shows that aren't about that, but can, you can see images that are starting yeah. to appear. Um, and then there's also that documentary disclosure. Mm, um, and I, love I just love hearing about people's journeys. Um, uh, what's her name? What's Electra Abundance's real name? Dominique Jackson. Yes. Um, I love hearing her story. And there's, I think she's in another documentary as well where she talks about her life journey. Um, there's also a, tra a black trans woman actor, actress, mm. who uh, I never knew was trans yeah. until she is. I think she's in Disclosure as well. I never knew. And I had seen this woman in movies. And she talks yeah. about how she had to keep it quiet, but she was able to effectively pass back in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And now she's like out and doing interviews. And right. so there are there is joy out here. And, I, you know, just like I, you know, I've there are people around me and including myself sometimes who we say, you know, we're, we're tired of these slave movies as black people. Um, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure there's well, people. In Exodus the, is a kind of slavery, isn't it? Right. It, I mean, it's, yes, there's people in the, the LGBTQIA community who's like, we're tired of these movies about like us dying our yeah. you know, us, you know, dealing with abuse in our families. Is there, is there a space for joy? And so, if right. you have any recommendations, do share them with us so we can continue to share with listeners things that are joyful, things that bring you hope and that make you laugh um, yeah. so that it's not just one side of the story. We need both. I mean, I think Pray Away could have used some stories of people who m more stories of people who escaped and then are doing the work of trying to just to end to end that reparative therapy. Right. Yeah. Um, it could have used more of a movement around that. It could have used more um, sh showing more churches who are inclusive and had a ministry of inclusivity, right? That are the alternative to pray away. Yeah. I, that would have been a beautiful sign of hope in the world, right? But, in, you know, I'm not saying that's my, I mean, that, it's not to say that we don't need a movie like pray away. We do. We need a Jesus camp too. And we do need underground railroad and we need all that stuff, but we need, we need both the pain and the joy. We need the pain. We need the we need the pain and oppression, and we need to show the struggle, and then we need to show the other side of the struggle or joy in the struggle. One of the two, yeah. right? And yeah. I don't think we did, they did all of that. Maybe they didn't feel like they could in one movie, but um, that's part of our our work, you know, is to make sure we're lifting up both sides of that. Yes, indeed. Well, this wraps up our episode for this week. I yeah. hope that you all uh, enjoyed at least some of it and the other parts that were difficult. I hope that we can sit together with that and to just think and reflect on the conditions of this world. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, we look forward to hearing from you next week. I believe we will have another guest on. And Ooh, so, uh, yes, maybe, maybe we might hear from the Reverend Tara Gibbs next Ooh. week. So 
Yes. Um, I look forward to that conversation. And as always, take care. See you next time. See y'all later. Friends, that was our episode this week. As always, please email your questions and your suggestions to Reverend Mia McLean at mmcclain at myersparkbaptist.org. Until next time, take care. This is Sacred Justice.